Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peter. And this is episode 110 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 110, we are going to ask the question, is this okay? And this sort of like sounds like a new game show. Uh, and I am I and Scott are your host or something. Actually, I guess Scott is the host and I am the I am the first contestant, otherwise known as victim or something like that. But we're gonna be asking the question, is this okay? And Scott is going to be sharing things and stuff that he has observed in the recent and not even remotely recent past. And then uh, he'll, you know, share those sorts of things. And then we will discuss, well, one at a time. And then we will discuss, uh, is that okay? In terms of either devious behavior, borderline behavior, gray area behavior, things that we've seen in quizzing with regard to competition and so forth. Uh, and then we will discuss each of those uh, before we move on. And then if we have time, we do have a few other sort of things that we can talk about. We have some ideas that we'd like to share around uh, ways to improve your memorization capability for quizzers, how to best review. Uh, we recently had, uh, just this last weekend, we had our first meet after the very long Christmas New Year's break. Uh, and so, of course, everybody's rusty and it's hard to get back into the sort of the swing of quizzing. So we'll, let's talk. We'll talk about uh, how to prepare uh, both as quizzers and then things that you can do as, as coaches to help prepare uh, folks. So with all that said, let's jump into is this OK? So, Scott, take it away. So I'm, I said that these are some manner of either devious borderline or gray area quizzing things. And I kind of focused on the competition. So not like a gray area of quiz master ruling or writing a question or things like that. Um, and these are things that either I've done or I've observed other people do, or I've just thought of. So uh, just because we talk about them doesn't mean I've actually seen this happen. Um, but I'm curious, Griffin, is this okay? Uh, the first one is for a quizzer, acting like you're jumping when you don't intend to. Yeah. So we have to, yeah. I mean, the, the simple answer is I don't have a problem with it at all. Um, and, but you have to kind of back up a little bit, right? Because some, I could, I could absolutely see somebody saying, but isn't that deceptive and deception isn't a good Christian attitude to have. Uh, so we shouldn't be encouraging our quizzers to be deceptive. And I get that, and I and I absolutely have massive sympathy with that. But I want to sort of rewind a little bit and say, well, what are the? How do we define what is okay and not okay? What is our mission? Obviously, we're wanting to try to encourage people uh, to memorize scripture. What's going to encourage them to memorize scripture the most? The competition definitely falls into that. And I'm not obviously I'm not advocating winning at all costs because that's that I think is counter mission. Uh, by a lot. I definitely don't want to see any form of cheating. Uh, that's that's countermission a lot, a lot, a lot, uh, as well as, you know, unethical and, and immoral and so forth. But in terms of like psyching out your opponent, right, to do in, in whatever that means, right? <clears throat> but if you're going to if you're going to work to psych out your opponent, I think that's sort of appropriate. Like you, you kind of need to walk in to the room feeling confident rather than than kind of sheepish is is a positive thing. So then when you're up there on the platform acting like you're going to jump is probably the default behavior. If you if you 
signal that you're not going to jump, which is the opposite of not acting like you're going to jump when you don't intend to, you're, you're effectively signaling to the other team that they can slow down and essentially get the effect of a bonus question. So I don't know, for me, I would rather, uh, I'd rather have the team not that I'm competing against, not slow down. I want to encourage strong competition. So for me, I know I'm dancing around this a little bit, but I, I think it's totally fine. Um, I don't know, Scott, what, what are you thinking about this one? I would think it's totally fine, too. Um, I think specifically around quizzers that might have a specialty or not, they may not want to tip their hand too much, and they might want to act the exact same way on every jump. Um, and to me, that is perfectly fine. Now, what about this scenario, which is I, my team has just aired. And so right as the quizmaster is reading like question number two as the toss-up for the other two teams, question number two, question, I like obviously lean forward like I'm ready to jump. Like in a uh, in an attempt to confuse the other teams because they're like, hey, that team's sitting out and I don't intend to jump because that would be a foul. Um, But it's just like, hey, if I get their mind off of the like right when the question's starting to be being read, I might gain an advantage. I don't I don't have a problem with that necessarily. I just I I don't think it's going to have any sort of value. Um, I don't know that there's going to be a ton of ROI value in that. Right. I think it's I think. I think the signal is the opposite of what we're talking about. The signal is uh, that quizzer isn't jumping like they're, they're sitting back in their chair, right? So, I mean, some quizzers lean really forward in their chair. Some quizzers lean almost imperceptibly uh, forward in their chair. But there is this moment when a quizzer is like, yeah, I'm not jumping on this question where like, you can kind of see it in their posture. They sort of make themselves heavier. And I don't think they're, they're intending to make themselves heavier. Obviously you can't, you can't add mass to yourself, but it's, it's this sort of act of sort of relaxing into your chair in a sense. And you can see that. And to me, that's the signal. The absence of that signal is, is sort of neutral. Right. And to me, it seems like a quizzer is going to not particularly take note of like, oh, somebody over there is getting ready to jump. Rather, they're going to take note of somebody over there isn't jumping right as fast. And therefore, maybe I don't have to go quite as into my you know exact speed. And of course, if we're talking about internationals here, let's, let's talk about the different competitions, right? At internationals, my speed should not go faster based on whether somebody else is jumping or not. Like I should be targeting a speed and maybe I slow that speed down very slightly if I notice signals from other people on the bench that they are not going to jump as fast, right? But like my speed is already optimized, should be already optimized to the fastest it should be so that I can get some errors, but my net value is is maximized, right? So the only signal that matters to me is a signal that says maybe I can slow down my jumping and improve my accuracy as a result. Right. So, I mean, it definitely doesn't apply to a meet like internationals where quizzers are really making, they're not changing their jump speed very much. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah, but at the district level, you might change it quite a lot, like all the way from I'm jumping on two syllables to I'm not jumping at all. So, right, and I mean, and and take it take it a step back again to the the notion of like what's the what's the value what's the value gained? I just I mean, maybe at say a district level at a smaller district meet or something like that. If your district is large enough to have say regions. Uh, regional meets a subset of your entire district uh you know quizzing together uh maybe 
in one or two quizzes, it helps to kind of confuse one of the other quizzers, but I just, I don't, I don't know that it really buys you all that much. And even if it does, I, I don't know. It just seems like that's the job of a coach to come in and help explain, like, don't pay attention to what everybody else is doing. Pay attention to what you're doing, like optimize your performance as best you can, which is, you know, put on blinders to what everybody else on the, uh, on the chairs are doing. Right. All right. On to the next one. Um, if you're a quizzer making an argument you don't believe in or that you don't think is right in a challenge or a rebuttal, uh, it's sort of, I don't think it matters. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, I, I think, I think if you think you, if you think you can make a logical argument, but you believe that the logical argument is flawed, but your logical argument that you believe is flawed is your best chance of, of winning a challenge or a rebuttal, go ahead. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, the point of the challenge is to bring something to the official's uh, awareness so that they can consider something that they haven't thought of before or reconsider something in a different light that they had just considered. Uh, so, you know, if you're presenting something that's illogical but might actually cause them to change their mind actually might cause them to reconsider something from a different perspective. I don't necessarily see a problem with it. Now, that being said, I would highly caution quizzers not to do this, not because I don't think there's not because I think there's like some sort of devious borderline gray line area here, but because it like it's typically 99% of the time really obvious to the officials when you're arguing something you don't believe in, right? Um, and they're not going to take you quite as seriously when you're, when you're arguing in some, uh, in a sort of in, not in, I don't want to say in bad faith, but when you're arguing something, an idea that you don't necessarily believe to be true, it's going to be obvious. They're not going to necessarily take you seriously and it's just wasted effort, right? I don't think there's necessarily anything morally ethically wrong with it i think it's just it's not productive so why bother so to be a, super difficult here a, a totally different question which is um if you are a quiz master and you know that quizzers have challenged kind of in bad faith before should that have any influence on how you evaluate their current challenge or rebuttal it shouldn't, but the reality is it kind of does. I mean, really, a quiz master and an answer judge and a scorekeeper for that for that matter, like officials shouldn't take prior events into consideration at all, right? Like a challenge is entirely based on the one question. It is not relevant what happened prior to that question at all. It's it's inad, inadmissible evidence, right? In a court of law sort of thing. Uh, the reality, though, is, you know, officials are human if you annoy them and then you challenge the the annoyance feelings aren't immediately put on the shelf perfectly uh you know maybe some quiz masters are better than other others at compartmentalization uh but you know it does play a role and so again the quiz master should put everything onto a shelf should compartmentalize it shouldn't play a, a role but it knowing that it plays a role at some amount better than zero, why bother going down that road if you're a captain? Sure. I, I would agree with that. Um, all right. Next one is you're a coach involved in a protest and the protest is against your own team and you know that um, the protest should win. Um, but, and, but you say nothing. Do you think that is all right? I think it's all right. I wouldn't do it. 
personally, um, because as a coach, I mean, I don't have a, I, I don't have a problem either way on this one. I think as a coach, my goal is to promote the, the goal of the program, right? Uh, I see coaches as uh, a different, I mean, they're, they're a very unique and important role, critically important role, but I see them more as administrators of the program rather than participants in the program. And so I would want to see coaches supporting the overall mission of the program, which is, you know, get the most number of quizzers to memorize the most number of verses. You do that by encouraging and, emot- and motivating and, and teaching and training and correcting and so forth. Absolutely. I think you also do that by supporting the idea of ensuring that rulings are fair, right? And fair leads to consistency, right? So like, as you approach uh, perfectly fair, you are approaching uh, perfectly consistent. And so I would want to see a coach desire to see consistent rulings, fair rulings. So as a coach, if, if I, you know, if I'm in a protest and I'm like, yeah, it's against my team and I actually think my team is in the wrong, then it's like, I, 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 I'm, I kind of vote against my team in a sense, right? Now my team members aren't there. My quizzers aren't in the protest with me. So I can be really frank and say, yeah, I, I think my team screwed up here or whatever it is, right? And and okay, great. And we resolve it and we move on. It it also reduces the time in which the protest is taking place, right? Uh, so that's sort of another factor. I, I want to see as a coach, I think every coach, every official wants to see the protests adjudicated quickly, effectively, uh, fairly get it out of the way, go get back into quizzing, you know, that kind of stuff that, that promotes the the value of the programming. So, you know, for me, I'm, I, I would want to see a coach act that way, but at the same time, I don't think there's anything necessarily devious, borderline gray area, immoral, whatever in a coach, not doing that. I just think it, it tends to support the program better if a coach does. Yeah. I think, I think very similarly to you, um, if I'm a quizzer, I'm in full compete mindset. And if I can do something and kind of pull one over on an official, I would totally try. But then when I'm a coach, I don't think that I don't, I find that I don't think that way at all. I find that I just want the rule book applied as fairly as I as I deem it, and it's not like oh I could pull one over on the quizmaster in this way, but I don't think I should. Um, and I'm not saying that not saying anything in a protest is pulling one over on the officials, but but I'm just kind of highlighting how I think very differently when I'm a coach than like when I was a quizzer. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean I totally agree with what you're saying. To be fair, I want to like dive a little bit into what you would do as a quizzer. Like you're you're not. Where's the line for you as a quizzer? How, how, I'll turn it around into a, into a question rather than a statement. There is still a line as a quizzer that you're not going to cross. Like you're not going to do anything unethical as a quizzer, but you are trying to be as competitive as you possibly can, right? Right, right. But like, let me, I'm not going to do anything unethical, but let me conjure a scenario that might be beyond what a lot of people would do. Let's say I'm in a district quiz and I'm in final and one of my opponents in finals is a team that is led by a rookie, probably pretty good, or definitely very good, but a rookie, and maybe they don't have a very good handle of the rule, no, good handle on the rule book. And I know that I can, um, if I challenge in certain ways or rebut in certain ways, I can kind of exploit that weakness, and I might go back to that well, um, and that yeah. might be 
some other people might be like, oh, but they're a rookie. And it's like, well, if my team is up by 100 points in prelim quiz number two, it, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this. But if I'm in finals, um, I kind of take off all of the strings. And it's like, it doesn't really matter to me the logistics and dynamics of my opponents. I am going to, like, do whatever I can within the rules to win. Yeah, and I and I agree. But where is that line for you? Like, like, what's an example of something that just barely crosses that line as a as a captain? Um, I think situation is a big, big deal. Like, context is a big deal to me. And so, like, as I said, if I'm up by a lot of points, I don't really think you should be challenge doing, or at least reaching on challenges, even if you think that there's a good chance that you can win them. This is something that I wouldn't. But I don't know if that would. I don't know if I would deem that to be crossing the line into unethical. It's something that I wouldn't do. Right. But let's say devious, right? Like um, use the word devious that we have in our notes here. What would be something that would be considered, say, devious captainy behavior at, say, in finals at a district level? Um, Maybe during a timeout out loud saying incorrect information about the question types that are left. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I would, cause I mean, you could, you could, you could make the argument that like what you're doing is lying. Um, and yeah, I would say that that's, that's crossing the line into unethical behavior. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, I think you'd have to squint really hard to make the case that, well, the other team should just be tracking it. Uh, I, I think it's different when you're going out of your way to say something so that the other team can hear that, you know, is incorrect in an effort to mislead. So I think that so, would be a little bit over the line. Right. And so I agree with that. So playing devil's advocate, let's go back to the coach in the protest and say, if you know your team is in the wrong, or or rather, if you know that the protest should be ruled against your interests and you stay quiet, is that lying by omission? Uh, I mean, I kind of struggle trying to put a very specific definition on it like that. Like, I mean, I think you could make the argument that it's lying by omission, but that feels overly harsh to me um because you're just deciding to to not provide information i don't know but 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 isn't that exactly isn't that the very definition of lying by omission i mean we're kind of into the ethical question of the trolley problem right Sure, sure like um is it a different if you make you know like i make a decision that changes the outcome um and a lot of people would say that that is a big difference right Right. Uh, versus just doing nothing. Um, so I don't really know. I just, I kind of want at that level, if I'm coaches in a protest, I kind of want the right ruling and I would want everyone to advocate for the right ruling. That's yeah. kind of all. Yeah. And I think, I think I, I, I totally agree. I am not sure whether I would consider silence to be unethical, but I can, I can definitely be open to the argument uh, that it could be, but a quizzer making an argument in a challenge that they don't believe in, I I wouldn't call that lying. They're arguing a line of thought. They don't necessarily believe in the line of thought, but they're 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 basically saying, okay, but here's a line of thought that that may actually work out in in my favor. Uh, they're not claiming that it's a line of thought that they agree with. Um, so I mean, if they're dispassionately laying out a particular argument. Uh, not claiming it as something they believe in, uh, but presenting it as an idea for the officials to consider. Uh, I think that's entirely on the ethical side of of the line. Sure, and I'm barely convinced as well. Um, here's another one. If you're a quizzer, 
um, who's very, very good, deliberately waiting to quiz out um, to, as I've termed it, mess with the other team. Um, that is probably more negatively phrased than it needs to be. But it's basically to to have a negative impact on the other team. Yeah, to psych them out a little bit, right? To, yeah, I or or to cause them to speed up their jumping, right? I so So I think this is absolutely, completely, and totally fine and should be encouraged. I've seen this done brutally effectively at almost every level of quizzing, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, right? So like I've seen, I've been in situations where uh, you'll have somebody who is, let's say, in the top three or four quizzers of the district, and they're in a, you know, a prelim quiz, and they're, you know, they're tired, and it's a pretty easy quiz, and they're, they're not, they're not a hundred, they're, they're not totally goofing off, but they're not putting a hundred percent of their focus and attention in maximizing their, their, their score. They're just sort of like, yeah, this is going to be a fairly laid back, easy quiz. I've got 20 questions to get my four. Um, I, I feel no urgency in getting, you know, my four questions really soon. And they just kind of pick and choose questions along the way. I mean, that's a totally legitimate thing to do. And it's, I, the outcome of that versus somebody coming in and saying, I am going to intentionally not get my fourth question until, you know, question 18, the outcome is exactly the same. Like I just, I don't, and I don't see that the intention alters the environment at all. Right. Um, if anything, I can see a situation, especially if you're talking about like, say top nine brackets, you're, uh, you know, getting into quiz D or something like that. And you're up against some fairly competitive quizzers on other teams, but you know that they can, they can be psyched out a little bit. Like, like they're paying too, you know, that they pay too much attention to you. Uh, and instead of just focusing on maximizing their own, uh, you know, capabilities and their own scores. So you then try the trick of like, okay, I'm going to get questions one, two, and three, and then stop. Right. Uh, and I've, I've seen that happen. I actually coached a, a team to do that, uh, at least a couple of times, uh, one year where it, it actually, if you can do that, it, it actually is very effective. And if anything, it's a, a training learning moment for the other teams to say, like, stop paying attention to what the other quizzers are doing, like focus on, uh, dialing in as effective a jump and an answering that you can as an individual, and then just let things sort themselves out and it'll work out in uh, the best for, for you and your team in that way. Definitely. I think I haven't gone through this whole list yet, but I'm pretty sure that one will be the most okay on this yeah. whole list. <laughs> um, but I think it's useful to have kind of a range, right? Because um, a lot of these um, have some nuance. to them. Next one is if you're a coach instructing my teams or maybe specific quizzers on my teams to win jumps at very fast speeds where I know that their expected accuracy is low, but it's to specifically negate the effectiveness of other teams, one dimensional specialist. Um, so this is not intentionally erring, but you could argue that it's close. Yeah. And this one, I really hate the fact that context plays a role in this one, but I think context plays a role in this one, right? So if we're talking about, you know, internationals, we're in the final nine, Absolutely. Like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think about it. Like, like absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And if you don't do that at that level, like, I think you're missing the point. Like the, the idea at internationals is to, uh, you know, 
do everything that you can legally and ethically, and there is nothing unethical about this at all. Uh, so go for it. I think at lower levels of competition, it can be countermission, maybe, right? So like imagine you're in a, an early uh, meet of the year, a team that's all rookies, and you know that somebody on that team is really good at multiple answer questions, right? So as a coach, you say to your team, uh, go ahead and go a little bit faster on multiple answer questions. Um, instead of erring at a you know 10% rate, I'm going to say that it's okay for you to err at a 40% rate in this particular case. And I'm like, I think... I don't, I don't know that that's unethical, but it's counter mission, right? Because essentially you're providing a, you're setting up a scenario where that, that rookie quizzer who's specialized in multiple answers is going to be less motivated to continue. And I think that ultimately hurts the program and hurts everybody in the long, over the long term. Yep. I'd agree with that. It just, um, in the less competitive that a quiz is, the, the more, these kinds of strategies rise to the level of not okay. Yeah. And do you think, let's say, let's given my example, right? The multiple answer rookie uh, specialist, does it rise to the level of okay? I think, I think for me, it doesn't rise to the level of, of, of not okay, but it like, it approaches it from a place of, of zero. <laughs> it is, it is an, at a non-zero on the scale, but I don't think it's actually crossing a line. Yeah. It may not be crossing the line. It's just, at that point, well, I was about to say you're trying to win a quiz not based on material knowledge, but based on something else. But you're doing that regardless of the level of competition. Yeah, <laughs> that, you're, that, you're, that alone doesn't make it okay. Not okay. Yeah, exactly. I think I think I think it's a negative thing to do purely because it's countermission. But I don't think it. I don't think it really even comes close to crossing an ethical line. I just think it's it's counterproductive. Yeah, and it's it's useful to talk about because it shows that context does matter so much like it's almost the more competitive that the specific quizzer is that you are trying to negate <laughs> makes right. it more okay right right well and then and it, let's let's flip it around to the to the other side i think all so far all of these things are completely fine in a context where we are we're saying yeah we're full-on uh, competitive mode. And I think quizzing at its best is full on competitive mode. I think there are certain cases where you want to take it easy because it in, encourages the, the, the program, right? So for example, let's say, uh, I, Griffin knows almost nothing about soccer, uh, which is a true statement. Uh, but let's say you have somebody who is a FIFA world champion, uh, let's say world cup, that's in, that's soccer, right? Yeah, soccer is World Cup. So let's say you have somebody who is, you know, a World Cup champion who decides to show up at a pickup neighborhood game of soccer, and there's a kid there who's just learning how to play soccer who's seven years old. You're not gonna play, you know, at the same level as you would in the World Cup because that would that would just be like you'd be a jerk to do that, right? You want to encourage the kid to, you know, play soccer. And so you're not going to play at like zero capability. You are going to play and you're going to, you know, try to have fun with a quizzer. But the goal, or sorry, the quizzer, the 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 newer, younger uh, soccer player, right? Um, and maybe you even let them win, you know? Um, or But, but you know, the, the goal of the moment is encouraging 
and having fun. Uh, whereas as you progress higher in the competitive levels, uh, that beca it becomes more of a competition, less of about, you know, purely having fun, I think, or rather you have fun because of the competition rather than because of the game itself. Right. Um, so I would say the default behavior is one of optimized competitiveness at all levels that you then filter or, or draw back from in certain contexts where you want to encourage the health of the program. You want to encourage younger, uh, less capable quizzers, rookie quizzers, whatever it happens to be. Yep. Um, I don't have a good scenario to phrase this one, but as a coach, if there is another team from the same church or district in your quiz doing different things strategically. So I guess, are there things that you would think would be okay and things that you think would not be okay? Can you give give me an example? I'm not entirely sure I follow you. Well, I think one end of the spectrum might be like basically colluding with the other coach before the quiz and saying like, we're going to jump at this pace. What pace do you want to jump at? Uh, uh, I feel uncomfortable with that. My my skin kind of crawls. Um, uh, hmm. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that's such a good idea because like, yes, you have multiple teams from a single church, a single, you know, ministry organization. Obviously they practice together. Obviously they're really good friends together and so forth. But when you enter the competition, a team is a team is a team. And whether it's, you know, church, a team one church, a team two or church B team one, they're three independent teams. Right. Uh, so yeah, is there anything inherently wrong about it? I don't know, but I'm start my skin starts to crawl a little bit as like I don't I don't know that those that sort of colluding is appropriate and I'm struggling to figure out a demarcating objective line as to why. Uh I don't know. What what do you think? Um maybe this is the competitor in me, but I think that it is very very far across the I think any amount of agreement between competitors before a quiz starts about something that is not privy to every competitor is far across the line. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good point. So now I'm feeling even more comfortable with my uncomfortableness. Uh, so let's say it's not two uh, teams from the same church. Let's say you're walking into finals and it's three teams from three different districts. Let's say it's at, at internationals, right? And it's three teams from three different districts and two of the districts are pals and they get together and they say, let's employ such and such strategy such that the third team is eliminated first. Right. And then we'll divvy, we'll divvy it up amongst ourselves after the fact or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's full on collusion that I think is, yeah, I, I agree. That's way over the line. Or like, you know, what if I knew there was another top quizzer that specialized in references just like me? Um, we come to some agreement saying like, you can have all the references as long as you leave everything else for me or something. Like to me, that right. kind of thing is just far over the line. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that completely. And I think that also plays, I mean, that works quizzer to quizzer, team to team, also coach to coach. I think, um, you know, if a coach was, collaborating like that with another coach, whether they be from the same district or the same church or whatever or not, I think that's definitely over the line. And because I'm so passionate about this one, I'll be clear, I've never witnessed anything that I would even, that even made me suspect of collusion before a quiz. <laughs> um, but I just, 
we do see these dynamics, right, of two teams from the same district or church in a quiz. And I think it leaves open the possibility for something like this. And I, I've never thought that anything is going on. And that's great. I think I have seen this, um, but not enough to be able to put my finger on it and say for sure that it was there. Um, but it definitely left me feeling very unhappy, uncomfortable about it. Right, because I mean, it's you can't ignore the fact that you just have more information on this other team than anybody else does, and you can't forget that information, right? Right, right. Uh, nor would anyone expect you to. But it could become obvious if there's like a late question toss up for these two teams, and one team obviously doesn't jump on it. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Th- that kind of scenario is like, hmm, I suspect something now. Well, and even when you're seeing, you know, a couple of coaches who are really good friends, you know, talking kind of boisterously in the way that they normally would. And then that is juxtaposed with them off in a corner, you know, right before a quiz with some papers out, you know, talk, I mean, fairly obviously talking strategy and then something squirrely happens during the actual quiz that kind of things that make you go hum, right? Uh, Correct. We still got time to keep going. Oh, yeah, keep going. All right. We've hashed this one out before, but I'll bring it up here. As a, If you are a third-place a third place team in a quiz and you have no chance to win it on question 20, but you jump competitively. I think that is totally reasonable. And if you don't jump competitively, uh, shame on you. I agree. I think you are actually doing more – you are subverting the competition more by not jumping than by jumping as you would normally. Yeah, right, because the default is normal, and by not jumping, it's it's the same thing that we were talking about in in terms of, like, you know, leaning back in your chair versus leaning forward in your chair, right? Like, the default is to jump, uh, and the signal is not jumping, so the default is you're, you're being as competitive as you can be on every question, so the alteration is by not being that way, which... It's like, well, why would you why would you do that? That's silly. Um, you should be as competitive as you can be through every question. Now, to be to be fair, I also don't think you should like go crazy fast on 20. Right. So like if you're a third team, you have absolutely no chance of winning. You shouldn't then say, well, it's question 20. We have no chance of winning. So just fly like crazy because who cares? Right. I think instead you should try your absolute best to get the question. Right. Um, But that doesn't mean intentionally sitting and it doesn't mean intentionally airing or, you know, going as uh, fast enough to be effectively an error. Yeah, I I have no problem with the team jumping very fast Um, because I... I... (laughs) If they're jumping so fast that their expected accuracy is extremely low, well, then the top two teams just end up in a toss-up together. Who cares? That's true. That's true. That's true. You're you're right. I guess you could argue that if the question 20 is a specialty and one of the two teams in the lead has obviously the best quizzer at that specialty, and then this third-place team just jumps on a half-syllable and kind of ruins it for them, you could argue that that wasn't right, but... To me, that's it's still completely random which type is going to come up at the end, and I have a hard time saying that you shouldn't jump that fast based on what the question type is. Well, let me let me define f- fast then. What I mean by that is to say, 
let's say you're you know you're jumping at one and a half syllables and you're you've got a 20 percent error rate or whatever it happens to be and you know that if you drop by three quarters of a syllable your error rate will go up to 80 percent at some point that number becomes too far right like like i wouldn't want quizzers to fly on you know at with at a at a rate that is you know they are they're 99 going to error you know kind of thing because i think it it actually hurts the other teams directly right like um in exactly what you're talking about in terms of type and who knows what type is going to come up it's sort of irrelevant right um but rather you know if we're talking about should the third team with no chance sit on question 20 absolutely not like i think they should jump they should jump competitively, maybe even jump a little bit faster than normal uh, because they have nothing to lose. But uh, to th- I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to see them throw the question away. I, I wouldn't want them to be so fast as to just barely not get a foul. Right, right. I would agree with that. Um, if I was coaching that third place team, I would say, like, jump as you would normally or as if we were tied or something like that, you know? Yeah. And, and I might even go so far, depending upon the situation, I might even go so far as to say, go ahead and, you know, you were normally targeting two syllables, go ahead and target one and a half, right? Um, for this one question, um, you know, knowing that it increases the error rate, uh, but it's not a th- it's not throwing away the question, but rather it's a, uh, you have a, a better chance of potentially, you know, you have a... Let's say if you increase uh, from two syllables to 1.5, you go from a 20% chance of getting the question to a 50% uh, jump. Let's say you go from a 20% chance of getting the jump to a 50% chance of the jump, but you go from an 80% chance of getting the question correct to a 50% chance of getting the question correct. To me, I'm like, yeah, okay, go for it. Why not? Right. You can I I think that's fine and reasonable. But if you go from, say, an 80 percent chance of getting assuming you get the jump at the at the target that you want, if you go from 80 percent to like five percent, I'm I'm less okay with that. Sure. And we're not bringing up all of these very specific numbers as if we know the exact numbers or as if that there there's this firm line at which it changes from okay to not okay, but just kind of to illustrate that. If you're jumping way faster and your accuracy is plummeting but because of it, maybe it's not a great idea. It changes exactly at 52.7%. The problem <laughs> is we can't calculate that accurately during the quiz itself. All right. You heard it from Griffin. I'm not sure, so sure I agree, but... Yeah, 52.7. Um, Just remember, that's the number. Um, so a lot of the meat structures in finals require a team to win twice to be the champion, right? So finals might take up to four quizzes. What if you are a team competing and you are making strategic decisions to help another team win in finals because you don't want that third team to get their second win? Hmm, yeah, and I've seen this. Um, I I really flip-flop on this one, honestly. I I don't at all. You don't at all? I, let me guess where you come from. You, you You're saying it's in finals, uh, go for it. I mean, you're acting completely in your interests within the competitive structure, and there's no hidden information from anybody else, right? There's no colluding yeah. or pre-agreement or anything. Um, I agree. I think, I actually, you said it perfectly right there. I think that is a great heuristic. There is no hidden information. You are operating within your best interests. 
Um, there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing hidden. There's no, there's no collusion. There's no, um, well, inter-team collusion. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great heuristic. I mean, I do think that, let's say you're the team in the lead, it's not great when a toss-up happens and one team just sits, right? Like, I understand, like that's not great, and it would be nice if we could provide incentives within the competitive structure so that that doesn't happen. And we do do that almost all the time because individual averages count and it's only in finals where we have this team has to win twice, you know? So it's, it's these very, very rare circumstances, but I think in those circumstances um, it is fine. Um, But I would be interested in arguments where it's, it's not like, I guess I'd be interested in arguments where they think it's not okay, but they also have a solution because I would be fine admitting that it's not okay, but I'm not sure what the solution would be. I mean, actually, hmm. I do know what the solution is. If you take two third, if you take two third places, you're eliminated. <laughs> um, which PNW did do when I quizzed. Hmm. Yeah. To me, to me, I don't know that it, there's. For me, I don't. I don't think it matters if there is something that you can do about it or not. Right. So, like, how do you prevent coaches bet- uh, of two different teams colluding? on a strategy prior to the quiz. I don't know that you can really effectively prevent that, right? To me, I think it's just wrong either way. I think going back to your heuristic though, I think in this case, like your heuristic has caused me to change my mind. I think I think it's completely reasonable again in finals. And of course, outside of finals, it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's not a thing. Right. Cool. Um this is kind of a change of pace. Let's say you're coaching a team in internationals and you have four of your five quizzers that are clearly like the best of your team. Um, what if you sit that fifth quizzer for the vast majority of internationals? Yep. I'm totally okay with it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to do it for all of internationals. I definitely want to have that fifth quizzer involved in prelims in some way, um, more in prelims, less in, uh, in, 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 in brackets and so forth, because I want to make sure that the, that fifth quizzer, you know, at least has an opportunity to have a little bit of quizzing and have some fun. But yeah, the whole point of internationals is it is the competition that motivates, uh, and is the reward for the investment and the performance at the district level. And so, yeah, I think absolutely, if you've got four quizzers that are like an order of magnitude better than the fifth quizzer, that's just the way it it is. And, you know, it's kind of lame to have to be that fifth quizzer then, but, you know, try to try to make it as fun as a coach, try to make it as fun as you can for the fifth quizzer, right? Include them in all the strategy discussions, help them maybe help them be kind of like a quasi assistant coach to some degree or something like that. There are, there are ways to integrate that fifth quizzer to help them have as good a time as possible. But yeah, I think the, the reward is the competition uh, and you want to put in your four best quizzers, certainly in brackets, right? Yep. I would agree with this. Um, now I will say that PNW has been fortunate to be very competitive in internationals. And so um, the fifth quizzer, even if they were way behind the other four, are very, very strong and um, capable. Um, and I think you're worried less about ruining their motivation for future years in that scenario. 
Now, you may have a smaller district that is less competitive, and um, that might not be quite the case with the fifth quizzer. And so that's something to be aware of as a coach, right? I think you do have a responsibility to um, um, like coach your team to provide that reward for them. Um, but keeping an eye on the future in your district is also good if you have a very specific scenario yeah. going on. Um, and then here's our last one. I, I, I kind of like this one. I think it's interesting. If you're a quizzer... What if you get very close to the official's table when you're answering so as to make it difficult for your quiz competitors to hear what you're saying? Yeah, or you like put your hands around your mouth and speak just audibly enough that the quiz master is able to hear, but anybody else is not able to hear. Um, I've never seen this actually happen on purpose. I've seen quizzers unintentionally do this all the time. Um, and that's then becomes the, the, the difficult part about this one. How do you know it's intentional, right? If it's unintentional, then, a, you know, I want to give the quizzer a warning and say, hey, look, you know, stay within this area, you know, don't come right up to the table. I mean, if you're in room one, usually there's like some sort of platform. And so the quizzer just, can't get too much closer to the quiz master without falling off the platform. So that sort of solves that problem. It's also usually mic'd. So this is more, you know, one of the, you know, rooms two, three, four, five, six, whatever it happens to be kind of a problem. Um, yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's intentional, it does seem kind of cheese ball at the end of the day, it seems like a lot of work that's probably not going to help you all that much. Right. But like the extent to which something can help you, is, should not be grounds for deciding is it okay or not. That's true. Absolutely. I mean, we, I, yeah, I totally we are, agree. We are commenting on both of these things. Like, hey, even if we think it's okay, it, you know, as the saying goes, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Um, yeah, right. But I think for this one, I, I would I would say that it's, it's not okay. Um, now, so I would strongly encourage quizzers to never do this um, for – yeah, for lots of reasons. Um, but as a quiz master, I would say that I don't think a quiz master has any specific recourse if this is done. And I think a quiz master, um, even if they did have specific recourse, it is really problematic to judge the intent of quizzers. Now, sometimes it could be very obvious. Um, but as you say, there be dragons when you're trying to consistently make those calls now as a quiz master if you do think that something like this is happening on purpose i would probably say something to a coach after a quiz um and if it continued happening i might call a foul but i think that that is kind of the extent of what an official can do about something like this yeah i agree i think i would go so far as to say provide a non-foul warning to the quizzer and just say because i mean here, here's the thing you're you're right you can't really judge the intent and there be dragons if you try. So don't try and just say, you know, well, there's a 90% chance this was unintentional. So just warn the quizzer and, you know, friendly warning, just say like, Hey, you know, I noticed you were getting really close here. I, I, I need you to stay in this location, blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And then maybe that's the end of it. But if it keeps continuing, maybe warn a second time. And then if it happens a third time, you know, give them a foul or something like that. Um, uh, would I talk to a coach? I don't have any problems with talking to a coach about it afterward. I just think, you know, in a lot of 
cases you don't have the opportunity to do that as a quiz master. There's, there's, there's just not really time to be able to do that. I think it's more effective just to, you know, politely, respectfully say, Hey, warning, don't do that. If it continues, throw a foul, uh, and then move on. I would definitely say something to a coach after the quiz. Um, in, before I do anything publicly during a quiz, just because I think that this is such a, like, the rulebook doesn't specifically cover it. And if I'm invoking, like, this blanket foul for anything against the spirit of quizzing thing, um, I don't know. But I, take that to a, t- take it to its logical conclusion. Let's say somebody is being, in your opinion, disrespectful, right? That violates the spirit of the rules, and you have the opportunity to call a foul about it, right? Um, but like to, I would start by, by warning them. Right. But if it, you know, if let's say you warn them on question one and it continues on question two, three, four, five, six, are you going to go to question 20? Like, I, I think you just deal with it right then. And then like, and don't get me wrong. I'm not against the idea of going and talking to a coach about it. Absolutely. I'm just saying that the opportunity to do that is, is very small. Sure. Sure. I think in that situation, if it's that overt, you definitely act quicker. Um, but I think I would give quizzers a whole lot of leeway during a quiz before I'm calling fouls on them. Sure. Yeah, me too. Right. But this is the thing. Like if, if a quizzer is coming up to the table, right. And is speaking very quietly. Right. And I discern that they're doing so intentionally even if I don't discern that, forget the discernment part, like, but they're, they're coming up very close to the table and barely whispering their answer. I'm going to mention like, don't do that. Right. And if they do it again, then like, I'm sitting there going like, okay, did they just forget the warning that I gave them before? So that's why like by the third time it happens, I, I figure like, no, you're, you're into foul territory at that point. Like that's the quizzer you know, has, has had ample opportunity to not do the thing that you're telling them not to do. They've been warned twice. Uh, I think a foul is totally warranted at that point. Yep. Yep. I'd agree with it at that point. Um, I think we're basically both talking about the same thing. I will occasionally say something in general to the room. Um, even though it may obviously have been prompted by a specific individual's action, right? Like there are times where I'll say question number, nine is a multiple answer question and then a coach will be like come on team or something and then i'll just like um either right then or when the question is done i will just say like reminder that you are not allowed to say anything after the question type has been announced but i won't like single the person out uh, right 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 and I'd well and usually that. everybody knows who it is so there's no reason to single them out R- right but you know especially if it's a quizzer i might just say like please speak so that everybody can hear you um you know uh, and make it clear that 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 I noticed. And then if it did happen even a second time, I think I would do what you would do. I would call a foul right then. Yeah. Um, the that that does remind me of something. I mean, it's n- not exactly related to this list that we're talking about here. But in a, not this past meet, the meet prior, uh, there was, uh, you know, it was the first meet that we had 
in person in, you know, 1.75 years at that point, uh, everybody was very rusty and there was some breaches of platform protocol that I didn't notice because, you know, I'm a quiz master. I'm sitting here doing a thousand different things. And apparently there were some conversations, quizzer to quizzer, that were taking place after a question type was called. And one of the, uh, one of the coaches of uh, a team that was not on the in in my room at the time i think i uh, came and mentioned to me hey griffin by the way i'm noticing blah 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 and i was like oh thank you <laughs> like i no i i never would have noticed because my eyes never well not never my eyes very rarely actually look at the quizzer i'm almost always focused down on what i'm doing uh you know on the clock or on you know looking up materials or something along those lines and so i don't catch those sorts of things and so having that help uh to be able to catch that stuff is very useful yep and that's something that um scorekeepers and answer judges can be on the lookout for absolutely because they um have less of a need to be staring at a computer screen um as the question is starting to be read yeah, absolutely. Um, and especially the, the, the scorekeeper, you know, while the, while the preamble is taking place and while the question is being answered, the scorekeeper's eyes can be all over the stage. Uh, and that's a, I think the scorekeeper is a, is a really the best suited to be able to look for that sort of behavior and, and call it out as needed. And, and honestly, you know, it wasn't anything, you know, devious or, or, or bad or anything like that. It was, you know, a couple of quizzers who were very friendly and, you know, they were, they were used to practices where they talked between questions just fine and they didn't realize what they were doing was not appropriate at all. And so I mentioned it and they were fine the rest of the quiz. So, I mean, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it is people just need to be reminded of what the right protocol and behaviors are. And, you know, in my experience, they, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, uh, people want to conform to those behaviors. Yep. And the way that I always thought about those platform behavior rules is it's there for everybody else. Um, right. And so um, if what you were doing, if I think it had a very small impact to, to other people, but it was a violation, like I might just say like, hey, as a reminder, you know, this is our first quiz in a while, but like you can't do this. But even if it is your first quiz meet in a while, um, if I think the impact to others was large, I'll probably just call a foul immediately, right? Right. Um, and it's kind of it's an uncomfortable thing that an official has to do is applying all of that context because you want just like, oh, I, you know, in this scenario, I do this, you know, and it's very clean, um, but it often isn't very clean. Right. Indeed. Well, any other final thoughts? Um, I don't think so. Well, I, I think back on that one, because I always thought about it as what is the impact to everyone else? Sometimes I might call a foul and later a coach might remark like that felt harsh to me, you know, and I'm, and my response would always be like, it is not about how I'm treating that specific quizzer, whether you thought that I was um, too quick to call it or um, the punishment didn't fit the crime or wh whatever you want to say. Like, to me, it is protecting every other participant in the quiz. And that's why I'm making that. Um, and I'm often thinking very little about the impact to the person receiving like a foul or something. Right. Well, and I mean, what is the impact truly of a foul? I mean, there, I think the social negative is vastly bigger than the actual practical negative, right? The practical negative is, okay, the quizzer sits out the next question. What's, I mean, 
that's probably not a big deal in most contexts. Right. Although there was the time when I, I gave out two fouls to a rookie because their light was on after I said question. And mm. then they jumped on an according to, and I had to foul them out on like question 13. And I felt so bad, but I was like, I literally have to call this foul. Like I cannot not call it. Yeah, that's, that's tough. But I mean, it's the thing it's, it, that's unfortunate. And you, you nobody wants to be in that situation or have that situation take place. But I mean, it's appropriate to do because like really the quizzer, yeah, they're a rookie, and yeah, they're going to make mistakes. And it's now up to the coach to let them know, like, it's okay that you made those mistakes. Now you should learn from them. You know, um, maybe it's the fouling, fouling out as an opportunity to learn how to manage your light a little bit better. Right. Well, I think that's all for those, but we would love feedback or if anyone else has any other kind of gray area things that they wonder, is this okay? Um, Cause I think they're useful to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's also useful to talk about the sort of antecedent ideas around our motivations, like like what are the heuristics that we're using? So like when you mentioned your heuristics for one of those, uh, that really helped me shift my thinking uh, where I was kind of on the fence and then very quickly went like, nope, I'm way over here where <laughs> on the extreme where Scott is uh, <laughs> b- based purely on on your description of your heuristics because it helped me evaluate like like because then I can say like, okay, I I'm struggling with the evaluation of the thing i didn't struggle with the evaluation of the heuristic and once i have that then it's like oh well the conclusion of the heuristic is this therefore i'm way over here with scott and that sounds great you know like so i mean it's useful i think to discuss these things but also the reasons and the rationale and the logic behind why we get to them and and to wrestle with them right as all good trolley problems should be wrestled with absolutely All right. Well, and on that bombshell, I would like to remind everyone that we would like to hear your bombshells. We would like to hear your feedback, anything that you agree or disagree, especially if you disagree with anything, or if you have any additional questions or thoughts that we haven't brought up, we would love to hear from you about the stuff in this or any podcast or not yet in any podcast. And we'd like to be able to add your thoughts to the mix. So please email us at iq at cbqz.org. So that's iq for inside quizzing at c bqz uh, christian bible quizzing.org you can follow us on uh, twitter our account is at inside quizzing and if you're on slack the bible quizzing slack you can chat with us in kind of almost near real time on the inside quizzing channel and with that i will say thank you all and thank you scott thanks to all of our listeners and thank you griffin Mm -hmm.